When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This is Start Making Sense, the weekly podcast of The Nation magazine, and I'm John Wiener. Now it's time to talk about America's forever wars, part of our global war on terror, and how we can end them, especially Afghanistan, the longest war in American history. You may recall the United States invaded Afghanistan after September 11th. That was 2001, almost 20 years ago. According to the official figures, we've spent about $800 billion fighting the war and an additional $40 billion in aid to Afghanistan. The unofficial figure from the cost of the war project is about $2 trillion. U.S. forces have suffered more than 2,300 deaths and more than 20,000 American soldiers have been injured in action. And we've killed, we are told, more than 100,000 Afghan civilians since they started counting in 2009. Then Trump signed a peace treaty with the Taliban under which the United States will pull its last troops out of Afghanistan May 1st. That's in a couple of weeks. Does anybody think that's going to happen? November has now been floated by the Biden administration as a more, quote, reasonable figure. It all seems at best confusing and pretty hopeless. For some hope, we turn to Karen Greenberg. She is suggesting three concrete steps, not just to end the war in Afghanistan, but to begin to end the war on terror. Karen is director of the Center on National Security at Fordham Law School. She's the author of The Least Worst Place, Guantanamo's First 100 Days, and most recently, Rogue Justice, The Making of the Security State. She writes for The Nation in Tom Dispatch. Karen Greenberg, welcome back. Thank you so much for having me, Dan. Well, we're not the only ones who want to end the global war on terror. Joe Biden has declared that's one of his goals. That's big. Please explain. Yeah, I think that that Joe Biden, President Biden, has given all the right cues about coming to the end of this period in American history. He's made it very clear, and his State Department has made it clear, and even some of the decisions that have been made in DOD, Department of Defense, have made it clear they would like to turn their attention elsewhere and begin to think about how they're deploying resources, where, why, and, and what for. And therefore, the war on terror, in the wake of some serious great power rivalries, needs to be pulled back. And what I say is, whatever the reason, this would be a good thing to have at the top of an agenda. Um, and so whether it's uh, President Biden or um, National Security Advisor Jake Sullivan or Tony Blinken, Secretary of State, there really de does seem to be some goodwill energy towards wanting to take some concrete steps towards ending this war. Whether or not we can get there, that's another story. So concrete steps to eliminate the foundations of the war on terror. You say three things should be changed and most important can be changed. 
What's number one on your list? Well, that's a hard one. But number one on my list is um, is um, repealing the 2001 authorization for the use of military force that was drafted and passed right after the attacks of 9-11 without any kind of geographical restrictions, without any kind of time limits, without even naming an enemy. And as a result, and it has been used in increasingly expansive ways to this very day. And this needs to be um, repealed. They're talking about reforming it. I'm not sure exactly what that means. And then, of course, there's another authorization for the use of military force that was passed for the Iraq War in 2002 for the invasion in 2003. That, too, uh, should be repealed. And that looks like the first one that will be repealed. It's It's the easier one, what Saddam Hussein was deposed a long time ago. The United States has been working within Iraq to help build up civil society for all of these years. Um, It should have been repealed a long time ago. So that's the lower hanging fruit. And it looks like that will happen first. You know, back in 2001, you remind us at Tom Dispatch and, and in the nation, there was only one person who voted against the authorization of the use of force. Remind us of who that heroic... Barbara Lee from your uh, state of California, absolutely. And has she has continued to this day to um, fight the fight to repeal the, the 2001 AUMFs and the AUMFs authorities um, over and over again. And, you know, hasn't been able to bring that about, but she's been on record. We need to not have and ever expansive powers. It's what she saw would happen at the beginning, and it's what has happened. So eliminate the legal basis for unlimited war powers granted to the president. That's number one. Seems like a good number one. What's number two on your list? So number two on my list kind of intersects with that one, which has to do with restrain, refine, rethink, rethink the law and policy around the use of drones um, and drone strikes as targeted killings. You know, um, this was a policy that was embraced by the Obama administration, in part on the rationale that it saved lives. It certainly saved American lives because it came, you know, they were launched from so far away and it it reduced the need for troops on the grounds in these strikes. Also on the grounds that it um, saved uh, enemy lives and and civilian uh, casualties. And Obama did reduce civilian casualties, um, but still this is a very... um, dangerous tool to have. It's proliferated around the world. And we need to really think about how we're going to do this, not in secret, in open. What are the rules and regulations? And we still don't have them. And by the way, I want to say that Jake Sullivan, National Security Advisor, has said in the early days of his uh, appointment that he very much thinks that restraining, rethinking the the use of drones is important. And I think that's that's at least a beginning, a good intention. Your argument is not that drone warfare should be eliminated, but rather that it should become a rarity. That's kind of a tricky line to draw. Listen, in a, in the best of all possible worlds, I would like there to be, you know, world peace. I really would. And I <laughs> cannot believe the escalation to war that, that has happened in this century. And it is just, it's a given that we have wars simmering or, or actively hostile in too many places. If I thought it was a reality that we could get rid of drone warfare, that would be great. But I think, you know, we're, li- we're not living in-, in that world right now, but we may get there someday. And one of the limits that you want to put on this is transparency in reporting on the uses of drone warfare and on the casualties. 
absolutely. And what's interesting, this is so interesting. You know, I've been writing some things recently and trying to uh, double check, you know, the footnotes on fact checks of did Trump escalate uh, drone warfare and in what countries and what were the casualties and what were the costs and the, the, the amount of difference in the statistics, depending on whether you whose statistics you use and what governments are counting. Are they counting what the Department of Defense says? Are the department counting what human rights groups say? Are they counting what people on the ground say? There's no mechanism for knowing. We need to have a structure that says, this is how we're gonna count it. This is how we're gonna, what we're gonna rely on. This is what matters, et cetera, et cetera. We don't even have that. Talk about transparency and how we make the determination about how to use a, a, a targeted strike, which is also extremely important. And what's number three on your list? Oh, the, my number three is really my number one all the time, <laughs> which is close Guantanamo Bay detention facility and do it quickly and quietly and just get it done. Didn't Obama pledge to close Gitmo 12 years ago and he said he was going to do it within a year? Yes. When we were young, Obama <laughs> said that he would close it within a year. He got outmatched politically very quickly. And look, he he reduced the numbers of people at detainees at Guantanamo to 41. Now there are 40 there. That is an accomplishment, but it is in no way closing the facility. And just remember that Donald Trump, when he was president, talked about opening it up for some more bad dudes. Remember? So yeah. among the many reasons that Guantanamo needs to be closed and put into the history basket is that it's there to be used if anybody wants to use it. That's not okay. We don't need an offshore uh, detention facility that has its own laws, its own rules, its own regulations, and in which people can be detained forever without sufficient due process. So, um, I mean, this is this is not rocket science. And um, they need to close it. It's 40 individuals. Obama had a very aggressive uh, program at the end of the last 18 months of his pre presidency for getting detainees re resettled transferred to other countries because they can't come here by congressional authority. And uh, this ha needs to happen. The, 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 those forever detainees, for the most part, need to be transferred and the rest need to be tried. And we need to return to being a uh, country that abides by law and policy. It's clear. Obama was defeated when he tried to do this. Are the politics any different today? I think they are. I think the distance of time, I think, makes a difference. I think the, the, the numbers make a difference. I think the fact that $13 million per prisoner is a very high price tag that the public can begin to absorb. I think the idea of danger of people who, who we're talking about building old age facilities for and, and new medical facilities for in Guantanamo is another reason. There are a lot of rational reasons for not seeing this as in the kind of fear-minded approach that was before. And I think an argument, a very persuasive argument, could be made to Republicans and Democrats for closing it. Now, part of your proposal is not just these three top priorities, but something you call six-month checkbacks. Tell us about that part. You know, I think that the the Biden administration should be given a chance to do the things that they've given indication they want to do, which is to um, narrow their authority, the authority of the president to just strike where he wants in the name of terror, to refine any kind of uses of war and be very, very careful and limited about how they use them and to close Guantanamo. And there's been a lot of why haven't we done it yet? Remember that the um, that the transition period was very choppy. 
And they didn't get the transition that they should have had and that they are mandated to have. And so I think they should be given a little time. I think six months is a very short window. It's not three years. Biden has given himself to close Guantanamo, he has said by the end of his term. I think there's some confidence that he might be able to do it before then. But I, I just say we should have a little check back and then we can get, then we can say, where's the progress? Where's the change? Why hasn't it happened? But there needs to be a little window here. I want to end up on Afghanistan. I notice your approach is you do not start with what's the right timetable for getting out of Afghanistan or what should be the terms for the negotiations with the Taliban about future shared governance. You start from the big picture. But where does Afghanistan today fit into this big picture? And, you know, the big thing for so many of us is those schools for girls in Afghanistan that the Taliban will almost certainly shut down as soon as they can. What about them? You know, I think there's going to be a lot of gradation in the negotiations with Afghanistan. I don't think it's just one thing or, or another. Um, I think this is going to be true of our foreign policy going forward with Biden across the board, whether it's Iran or China or what it is. We've gotten used to thinking of foreign policy as a one-liner. It's not. And I don't think that you have to sacrifice everything. And I think when they talk about back-channel negotiations, it's also incremental negotiations. What's at stake? What do we need? And, and we're going to have to pressure and hope um, that the Biden administration, some combination of pressure and hope, that the Biden administration is going to ask for those issues related to rights and liberties that can move Afghanistan forward in the world. And this is why he's being very careful to say, I'm not sure when. He still hasn't said it's not going to be May 1st. He has not said it. Um, it's getting very close to think that they could actually physically accomplish it by May uh, 1st. But the pressure for that date is still in the air as these back channel negotiations go on. And I, I think that's a good thing. Should stay there. Karen Greenberg, she wrote about how Biden can end our forever wars for Tom Dispatch and the nation. Karen, thanks for talking with us today. Great to have you on the show. Absolute pleasure, John. Thank you. You've been listening to Start Making Sense, the weekly podcast of The Nation magazine. You can hear more interviews like this one at thenation.com, and you can subscribe to Start Making Sense at iTunes Podcasts, Pocket Casts, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm John Wiener. Thanks for listening. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.